Hello. Hey. I uh, I like to have my guests introduce themselves. Do you mind uh, talking about you, both work, personal, anything you want to share? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Hey. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Um, my name is Nico, or yeah, Nicholas. Everyone calls me Nico. And I've been. Uh, I'm now in Munich. I'm working for Figma, uh, the the design tool, and. Uh, I joined Figma, I think around one and a half years ago in March last year. And then I lived for nine months in the US, in San Francisco. Yeah, and then my visa ended, <laughs> which forced me to, to go back to Germany. Uh, so now this year, like since the beginning of this year, I'm working in Germany uh, or like working remotely from Germany. Yeah, and then, yeah, I'm a product designer at Figma. Um, focusing on, on kind of like prototyping and uh, and some of the editor stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, do you do you do you like being remote? Yeah, definitely. I think that the interesting thing with that that separation or like that case of having someone from from the product or design team being remote was new for all of us. Um, so when I joined, we were I think around thirty five, thirty eight people. And when I left in December, we were around, I don't know, 80 or 90 or something. I'm not exactly sure, but it was still new to have a, like a product or design person being remote and then also being this like heavy time zone remote. And so what that kind of like led to is that like we have to kind of like figure out because like you just talk a lot more. You just have to like be on the same page and like figure out what to do. And that just requires more talking. And so we had a little bit of kind of like figuring out to do in the beginning. Um, but now it has been working smoothly for the last months. So that's pretty nice. And th what is that, a nine-hour time difference between San Francisco and Germany? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, wow. yeah, that nine-hour time difference, like that really kind of like, there's no normal day overlap, essentially, kind of like no normal working day overlap. Um, I have a, so Thomas Lowry is a designer advocate uh, at Figma. And when I work with him on like jam sessions or something, he's on the East Coast. So he has these additional three hours. So it's only a six hour time difference, which makes it so much easier to schedule calls. Because um, like, yeah, those additional three hours make, make the kind of like normal working day overlap a little. But for San Francisco, it's either really early for, for my colleagues or quite late for me. Yeah. And, and do you think that's a huge difference? Like, that's the hardest part about remote work? Do you think if you were remote on the West Coast of, Cal of like the United States, do you think it would be, you'd run into the same challenges? Or do you think the time difference is like the big? I think the time difference actually is not a challenge for my personal situation right now. Because in my personal situation right now, like, I don't have kids, I don't have things that need to happen in the evening. So I, uh, two of my roommates um, are friends that, I, that I've studied with and like they're working uh, also kind of like more, more to the, towards the evening. So I, have, I don't have a problem at all to kind of like do the communication in the evening. But the, I think there's upsides and downsides. And the challenges, because we've discussed internally if I could maybe move to Canada for a bit or move to Mexico or something in the same time zone, because I just don't get a visa to the US at the moment. But we also realized that the challenges might actually be the same because the biggest challenges are still 
communication that happens offline and is not translated basically online or communication that is more like, like if I would be in the office and I walk to the coffee machine and I tap someone on the shoulder and be like, hey, have you thought about this and that? And that kind of conversations is really hard to achieve is like if, if, if some people are remote, I think. Now, I, I usually I usually ask uh, guests, uh, at least with the one episode I've had so far, about to talk a little bit about design tools. Now, <laughs> that is something that you specifically work on. What is it? I'd rather ask you, like, what is it like to be a product designer for a tool for product designers, among other kinds of designers? Like, it's a little meta. It's sometimes confusing. Like, it definitely happened that I've built prototypes and had them open and had them running on full screen and did some other stuff, came back and tried to work in Figma. And, and I was like already starting to be like, hey, what is this bug that I should file right now? Because it's like the, the UI is unresponsive, like it doesn't work. And I'm like, hmm, what could it be? What could it be? And then I'm like, oh, oh, this is my prototype still running on full screen. And it, it would be fun if it happened only once. It did not just happen once. So that definitely happened a couple of times that I fooled myself that the thing I'm prototyping is the real thing. And that's just like, is it confusing for a couple of seconds, but like really confusing. Like, I don't know where I am kind of confusing. So that's like, that's like the day to day or less like the, the, the small, the small thing. I think on a higher level, I kind of like got hooked into tools through sketch plugins and um, like building sketch plugins got me hooked into tools and I found it fascinating yeah, so looping back, I studied in, in Schwäbisch Gmünd, which is like the, a tiny city in Germany with an unpronounceable name for my American colleagues. And I kind of like, when you're studying there, you get taught Photoshop and Flash and Illustrator and those kind of like large behemoths of software. And, and you're like, I have no idea how they work. And I have no idea how everyone, how anyone could ever design them or kind of like make them usable. And so through sketch plugins, I found a way to kind of like start by scratching kind of like my own itches or the itches of my friends in, in sketch in, in particular. And during a hack day, we started with a sketch runner. And through that, I realized, holy shit, like this is also just software that has, can be designed for users. And so the users are just like different, but I can apply the same things that I've learned to this now, and that kind of like got me hooked and ended up ended up in Figma, uh, or ended me up in Figma. And um, I think the the key part to keep in mind is that I am a user of the software, and at the exact same time, I am not the user that I'm designing for. And I think keeping that separation in mind is is pretty important. Yeah, I think that's probably important for ev every kind of designer to not designed for themselves, but for their customers. And I think sometimes, sometimes I am the user. I think that's kind of like what I'm trying to say is like there, the, it's, it's, it's a tricky balance. Like I can't overemphasize, but I can kind of like, yeah, inform my decision that I'm making through my own initial reactions to things, but they it can't never be the deciding factor. Maybe you could talk about like the two sides of, of your experience, like what is your advice for someone getting into product design and what is your advice for someone getting into product design specifically for design tools or other kinds of tools that designers use? I think for, for designers coming in, in into the industry or 
into the field of, of design or product design is that it's like there was this recent just this, this this weekend again this discussion about what is a UX designer and um, should it be based on graphic design should it be based on HCI or psychology or content writing or like 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 this discussion that comes up again and again and again and I think the the important part is that um, the problems we are tackling together as a team are so complex and have so many surface areas that every one of those people who say you good ux designers should do abc all of them are right and i think the important part is to a figure out what you're good at yourself like maybe you're good at kind of like strategic problem solving or large-scale systems thinking and then b by using that reflection that self-reflection of what you're good at try to find a team that complements your skills because then you can build cool stuff although maybe you're not the perfect ux designer because you've like spent years in i don't know graphic design or in something else or in whatever like all of those things are important and you have to reflect on yourself and then combine it with the skills of your team that was helpful for me to think about it in that way. I guess what I'm gleaming from that is that you also think that uh, more junior people should probably join existing teams with uh, maybe a larger amount of designers already on it than joining uh, maybe a smaller team or like a, be the first design hire at a small company. I mean, that just means more work. <laughs> like it can be an incredible learning experience like um, to join a small team and have to do everything and basically... If you're eager to learn all of that, that's like the best forcing function because you can't hide behind anyone else. But if you are not totally sure about what you're doing, yeah, I would say that joining a larger team or some team with more structure might be more helpful. I started after my uh, graduation. I had an internship at Shopify um, for a couple of months. There, for example, I work with Frederick O'Day and, and Dan Ross a lot. And... Uh, and I'm still like still super friends with them after after this, so this is super fun. Um, but like that helped to kind of like understand the scope in which people can be good at, and uh, kind of like analyzing it for your for yourself and reflecting about your own kind of like skills. Um, and then Figma was a different story because it was a lot smaller and a lot less structured in how the design team was set up when I joined. Um, and there it was a lot more like. Hey, we got to do this. Have you ever done this? I'm like, no, but let's find out if I can. I like, I like that. It's nice to have those challenges. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What advice do you have for senior designers? Don't overemphasize on your definition of what a designer is when you're reviewing or when you're giving advice to people or when you're um, kind of like assessing if someone should join or not. And that kind of like loops back to the, to the earlier point. A diverse team, a diverse set of thoughts is important to find good and flexible design solutions for anything. And so if your perception of what a designer should be good at is limited from the start, then you might not find this diverse set of thoughts. You know, you work on a tool that has a, uh, an element of platform for showing visuals. So somebody could create maybe um, uh, an imagery of hate or targeted harassment and then share it 
in an embed on Twitter or even in a work platform like Jira. What are your thoughts on like how, you know, when designing the product for anybody to create anything, do you have to pull back and protect sort of like any consumer of those things? Yes, <laughs> that's that's the that's the short answer. I don't I don't know exactly how. Like I think it starts with a simple reporting button, with like that that just like like gives us a hint on where and where things like this are. Luckily, we are not that big that like as let's say kind of compare it to Twitter, that we have a lot of Nazis on our platform sharing pictures of hate through that. Um, but I think in the in the in, in the future when we grow, that that definitely can happen more likely. And I I also think it's 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 on a different angle relevant too, which is not just the public sharing of pictures of fate, but also like the we are a collaboration tool, and everywhere where collaboration can happen, um, discrimination. And, and and harassment can happen too. And so um, we need to be incredibly careful and mindful about not fostering a platform from the start that lets these voices kind of like grow. Um, but we are in this more or less lucky position at the moment that we're not that big yet. And I think the good thing is that we can, while we continue to grow, be very mindful about these things and kind of like foster a platform of, of, of respectful um, collaboration and focus and overemphasize on that versus the pure growth of a number of users. I think that's really good to hear you say because, you know, as you know, the, the design industry has a lot of toxicity in it. You know, I used to be a big consumer, I guess I'd say, of, of websites like Designer News and, and it gets to a point just like, where it becomes YouTube comments and uh, and pretty tough to wade through and find the gems when there's a lot of that just like bigotry and misogyny happening, you know, uh, on the forums. So it's one of those things where it's like it it was a good idea and it in theory really works, but can be taken advantage of by a couple of like bad actors. So it's it's nice to hear you like articulate that that you're sort of aware that any platform when it gets to be a certain size can has to deal with those problems. And I think, I think one, one more thing too, is that we, we as Figma kind of like have to reach out to people who've done this before and see what we can learn from existing platforms who either kind of like already have good rules or, or, or set of rules in place or platforms who struggled through change and kind of like made it happen to kind of like move from a platform that that wasn't that kind of like inclusive to a platform that was more inclusive and not try to do it ourselves like this is something we have to do together and learn learn from each other where like it shouldn't it shouldn't be a differentiator uh, like a an ip traded secret on how to how to enable like good collaboration between people, but it should be something we should work as an industry together to find out what the best set of rules are and the best set of kind of like ways. Um, yeah. 
Uh, who is one person that our listeners should know about? I recently read, and, and that was actually pretty funny. So I read this book, and then Martin, my colleague, uh, gave me a present when it was the last time in San Francisco. And it was exactly that book. So I had that book twice, and I just gave it to a friend of mine uh, because I, I love that book so much. And it's, it's The Dream Machine from J.C.R. Licklider, uh, from I don't know exactly from who wrote it, but it is about J.C.R. Licklider. Lick, how, how he's called in the book, is definitely someone that people interested in creating tools or creating ways of expressing digital ideas in any form should read because he was one of the kind of like minds behind changing computers from large room scaled like calculation machines where you put in a set of commands and you get back a list of answers. And if you're wrong, you just fucked up 12 hours of, of your working time. But that he saw that this, this digital thing, the computer is, can be an expressive medium for people to express anything in. And that could be from generative drawings to complex interactive systems, like any set of application, or like an animation that is generated by, I don't know, changing your face expressions or something. And so that change from calculation machines to a medium in which we express our creative ideas, I think is incredibly powerful as a, as a like seeing that as a path happening and powerful as a, as a realization that we're basically working in this still pretty new medium and letting people express themselves in there. So I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So on this show, what we do is we share profits from our advertisements with all of our guests. Um, we're going to start selling like shirts and stickers. Maybe we'll share those profits as well. Are there other ways that listeners can support you? I think I don't have anything to sell in that, in that sense. So the biggest thing you can do is if you have any thoughts or want to discuss any of the topics that I've just talked about, I'm always happy to talk about that. So I think the biggest thing that you could do is just like reach out. Let's either grab a coffee or talk, hop on a call or like chat about random topics. It doesn't really matter what they're about because that's what I find fascinating. It's kind of like that's how I feel lucky to be part of that of that kind of like online community that just like connects random people with each other um, and makes them talk. So yeah, if you have, feel free to reach out if you want to chat about anything. Oh, that's great. That's such a nice offer. Where where can people find you to reach yeah, out? Twitter, Nicholas Klein, everything with a K. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Well, Nico, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on Bezier Show. Is there anything else you'd like to to share with the audience before we go? I think I think I'm super excited to see where where the podcast is heading. So yeah, all the best for the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm also excited to see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks again for being on. Thank you. Nice. Thanks for having me.